Welcome to the Entrepreneur Hot Seat, where I talk to entrepreneurs and business people from all walks of life and all levels of success, from millionaires to the people who are just starting out and everyone in between. My objective is not only to learn about their businesses and goals, but about their challenges and fears as well, all with the hopes of helping them and you find a pathway to success. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I am excited that you are joining me today for a conversation with my new friend, Pete Mikaitis. And Pete is an award-winning trainer and coach who helps professionals perform optimally at work. His work has been featured in the New York Times, Forbes, and Inc. magazine. Pete has delivered one-on-one coaching to over 700 leaders hailing from world-class organizations all over the world, 50 countries, and every Ivy League university. He began his career at Bain & Co. and currently hosts the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, which is kind of a big deal. The show has been downloaded over 3 million times and consistently ranks as a top business show in Apple Podcasts. And Pete lives in Chicago with his wife and his baby boy. Pete, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks, Andy. It's awesome to be here. Yeah, it's so awesome to have you on. Uh, we met just a few weeks ago at Podcast Movement in Philadelphia. And uh, to me, you're kind of a, a big time podcaster. So it's exciting for me to get you on and chat with you about what you've been doing, not only with your podcast, but of course, uh, from a business perspective with your career and uh, how you've developed it. And also dig in a little bit to some of the, the training and coaching you do, because I know there's things that I can benefit from hearing. And of course, our listeners can benefit from hearing as well. Certainly. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm fired up to get into it. Cool. Well, let's do that. Um, before we get into things like decision-making and uh, hypothesis training, productivity, time management, all those things that I know you are an expert in, uh, let's start with a little bit of your background. How did you get to where you are today? Oh, sure thing. Well, you know, I, I like to think about the, the starting point of, you know, career entrepreneurship action happening when I was uh, just a kid growing up in Danville, Illinois, and I knew that there was a, a magic phrase I could say when I wanted to just get out of the house, feel a little bit of cabin fever. I knew that I could get my dad to take me out of the house if I said, hey, dad, can we go to the library? And uh, no, no parent can resist a, a child's urge to go to the library. And so, and so we did. And, and then at the library, I, I found myself falling into an interesting little groove, which was that I would I'd become interested in a topic and it would be maybe something like uh, photography or, or chess. And then I would like read all the books about it, you know, kind of nonfiction. And I saw a really cool development happen, which was that as I read these books about photography, I was taking you know, better photos. As I read these books about chess, I was getting you know, better at chess. And I remember the first time I, I beat my dad in which he did not let me win. And that was, it was pretty awesome. It was like, holy crap, you know, books make you better at stuff. And so that was a huge takeaway coming up young in life. And it got me really excited. And so then maybe when I was maybe 13-ish years old, I, I continued to go into the, the old Danville Public Library. And then I discovered this whole new category of books in, in the realm of like success, leadership, goal setting, productivity, personal effectiveness, communication, like this whole realm. And, and it, was, it was so awesome. Like folks like Zig Ziglar, or Tony Robbins or, or Stephen Covey. I was reading their books and even more so uh, listening to their audio cassette tapes. I would play in a little boombox uh, strapped into the seatbelt of my 1989 Chevrolet Celebrity that I would drive in high school. So I was kind of 
enjoying this stuff and reading it, learning it. And I always read a little bit about the author section on the back of the books. And and I thought it was really interesting how it said that so-and-so is a a speaker, author, and consultant or a coach and they they help so-and-so do this and that. I was like, that just sounds like a fun job. You get to like learn stuff and then share stuff and then pay you for that stuff. Awesome. (laughs) Yeah, I I discovered that much later, but it certainly sounds like a fun job. Are you going to tell us how we can do that? Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, I think there's maybe too many people who will tell you how you could do that if, if it's just so easy to uh, whatever, push record and then sell a multi-thousand dollar, I don't know, online course or DVD set or, or something. And, and in practice, I, I don't think it's so easy. And, and I don't even know if I perfectly cracked the code. Uh, but, you know, I, I got me on business and it's growing and profitable and, and paying the bills. So we're figuring it out uh, as, as we go. And I'm excited for the future. Yeah, that's really cool. I, you know, I grew up going to the library a lot as well. And uh, I don't remember what I was reading, but I think it was almost all fiction. I wish I had stumbled into the personal development uh, section like you did at a, at a much younger age, because there's so much to be learned there about life that's just not taught in schools, right? On personal growth, on finances, on relationships, all those things that you're probably learning from the greats like Zig Ziglar and Tony Robbins that a lot of us didn't discover until much later. But then you, you still... I believe went out and got a job in the business world, right? You went to college and, and uh, That's true, went to yes. Spain. You talked about looking at them, this idea of becoming a speaker consultant, that being interesting. Is that Was that always kind of a goal for you or how did things play out for you in your career? Well, yeah, I mean, talk about college. I remember I, I talked to my mom. I was like, hey, I think I want to be a motivational speaker. So I don't know where do I go to school for that. <laughs> you know, what's the degree program I should pursue? Who's the best? And, and then she uh, gently guided me. It's like, well, perhaps it might be good to start by gaining some sort of expertise or knowledge so that you are worthy of being booked as a speaker. And I was like, thank you, mother. <laughs> yeah, that's, those are some wise words. And so I ended up going to the University of Illinois, which was about 40 minutes away from my home, and, and, uh, which is not my top choice at the time, but ended up being awesome in terms of great community, great people, and, and good learning. And so while there, I, I was continuing to, to volunteer, and I wrote a book actually about leadership in student organizations, because I figured that's the only audience or area that anyone may, maybe listened to before, because I led a bunch of student organizations and, and such. So I did that in college and, and did some speaking associated with that and had a lot of fun. But ultimately, I, I got a job offer from Bain & Company. I couldn't turn it down. I, I, I thought the people were super cool and the job was really interesting and and so, yeah, I had about three years doing the consulting thing and learned a ton, met some great folks. But yeah, I still felt that tug. Like, you know, what I really love the most is, is people development stuff. And so it was funny. I, I left Bain. Most people leave to go to business school or go to a private equity fund or, or something. It's like, I want to go be a speaker author. Like, okay. And, and they all said kind of the same thing, which was, you know, not outright uh, dismissal, but not also a vote of confidence. I thought it was very, very well calibrated. It was, well, now's the time to do it. <laughs> and and well, so I did. Talking dumb, you might as well give it a yeah, shot. Certainly. We'll see you back here in about uh, three months, right? Uh, yeah. They're all taking bets on that. But, but you left and that... You didn't go back, so it sounds like things have worked out, but how did you get that started? Did you have money saved up? Did you have clients? Like, what did you do once you left the job? Well, yeah, I did have money saved up, and it was interesting. I guess growing up, 
I was always just kind of frugal just because I guess my, my parents were. I remember like we couldn't get a, a Pepsi or a, or a Coke from a restaurant because like, we have that at home. I was like, okay. <laughs> you know, and, and so, and I was just accustomed to it. To this day, my buddy Brent will ask, Pete, I, I don't know if you actually want to drink water or if you're just still a cheapskate. Because I, I usually get water. Right? The answer is a little bit of both. I can relate to this. <laughs> I was very frugal. Thanks to my mom. And I would always ask my friends if I could share their drink or like <laughs> something at the, at the at McDonald's or whatever. And they would always make fun of me. You know, I just look back and say it, ser- it served us well, right? We've probably saved more money than the rest of them. Well, it did, yes. And I remember I would frequently sort of not be, I guess, partying as, as hard as my, my fellow Bainies at, at the, the, the bars, clubs. I was, I was like, can we have maybe more apartment parties, <laughs> you know, where the alcohol is not as expensive, you know? <laughs> and, and, um, and so, and I would, I would frequently take the bus instead of cabs. Uh, Uber had not yet, you just like dominated uh, the scene yet in, in, in Chicago. And, but so, so yeah, I was pretty frugal. And, and so I had a spreadsheet. This was actually a huge grace or, or, or source of, of strength and calm for me when I was, you know, doing the entrepreneurship thing is I had a spreadsheet which showed, okay, this is how much I have in terms of like liquid assets, like total dollars. And this is how much I tend to spend on a recurring basis. And, and I got the spreadsheet to put it all in sort of a, a daily burn rate, if you will. I think that's what the cool kids call it in uh, Silicon Valley these days. Mm-hmm. And so then I could sort of see, all right, well, hey, even if I had $0 of revenue, I have you know, this many days until I'm broke. And, and so that number, you know, was, it started at around 400, which is more than a year, which is pretty cool. And, and then it kept going down, down, down <laughs> for a good uh, couple hundred of those days. And, and that was really reassuring in terms of it's like, like I didn't have to freak out like, oh, I don't have any money coming in today or this week or the, this month even. It was like, that's okay. You know, we have, we can have 400 days uh, like that before it's time to freak out. And I also reassured myself, hey, hey, Pete, if you hit zero dollars, that doesn't mean that you die in the gutter bankrupt and homeless. That just means you got to get a, a job you don't like as much. So, right. you know, you can kind of breathe easy a little bit. Worst case scenario, I got to knock, say, hey, Kraft Foods, can I be a cheese strategist? I hear you like consultants for that kind of thing. What can we do? <laughs> yeah. It's so funny, right? Because when we, you get into the entrepreneurial world and, and so many entrepreneurs, the ones that are, that are still entrepreneurs have conquered this fear, but many people never get into it because they have this fear, of course, of failure. But I think a lot of people, when they think about that failure, they go to, and then I'm going to be homeless on the street. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Forgetting that, you know, I have these transferable skills. I have a yeah. degree. <laughs> like, I probably could get another job with a salary. Like, yeah, it would be painful and embarrassing going back to work, but I could do it. But in our minds, it always ends with, in us being homeless on the street. Yeah, right. <laughs> Totally. And, and I, I never did end up homeless. Um, you know, n- not spoiler alert, even though my, my savings got close-ish to the, the zero point, I managed to pay my rent. And even if I didn't, I, I've learned it's kind of hard to evict people. <laughs> so you need yeah, right. a little exactly. bit of wiggle room there too. <laughs> I think Illinois is one of those states where the, the laws are pretty strongly in favor of the renters, right? So you could probably hang out for, not that you'd want to do that. I haven't had to, uh, it hasn't gotten there, but I'm, I'm always terrified. I'm, I'm recently became a landlord and I, I'm just, I hear these horror stories about eviction. And it was like, first of all, I, I wouldn't want to have to do that to a human being, like emotionally, that's right. tricky. And then second of all, to have that really uncomfortable situation, because our tenants, you know, they live in the building, like right above me. And so it's like, 
Oh, how, how's that for coming home? <laughs> you know, oh, there's the guy who's not paying that I'm trying to evict. Yeah, that's an uncomfortable oh, conversation. Yeah. So, so you made this spreadsheet and you had 400 something days to survive without income, which is awesome because you obviously saved up a pretty good amount of income. You figured out how to live frugally. You were able to do the math. And you said you, you got pretty close to the end of that. So what were you doing yeah. during that time? It sounds like you weren't necessarily just out partying and blowing the money. You were actually building something. So what were you doing? Oh, you know, it's true. And, and in a way, I didn't have much of a plan and I didn't have much of, you know, pre-existing, you know, clients or I guess a proven product market fit, as, as they would say in the lean startup world at the time. I, I guess all I knew was I really like speaking and I see people who are getting paid pretty well to speak and I think I could do better than they're doing. Therefore, I will be successful at business. That was the extent of my logic, which is just shameful as a strategy consultant. It should have been way more robustly analyzed. I guess the savings spreadsheet is where I, where I made it up in terms of Excel prowess. But I was just kind of trying to figure it out. It's like I didn't really know in terms of like specifically, I guess I had a lot of follow your passion kind of ideas in my head from all my like youth leadership conferences that I went to, which is cool and true and good in some ways. But at the same time, it's really incomplete. I don't think I really recognize that speaking or selling, you know, knowledge, expertise, information is really a business like any other. It's like there is a problem or a need. You are an offering a product or service that addresses that need. And there are other alternatives and competitors that are also seeking to address that. And you need to thusly be differentiated to have a specific value proposition for a specific group of people. So being like, I can talk about whatever you want, you know, it doesn't really work so well. You're right. You've got to have a niche. You've got to have something that people know you for and recognize you for, right? Totally. And so in the early months, I was all over the place. I remember when my first paid gigs was the Illinois CPA Society. I think I was a little bit, uh, at the time, a little too wild <laughs> for them. You know, a bunch of accountants. I remember I got some feedback between my first and my second session to be less, quote, flippant. <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute. I'm pretty sure I know what that word means. And it's not a good thing to hear that. Let me look it up. It's like, okay, right. so one, I, I've toned down and toned it down and grown up a little bit, you know, in these uh, died years. And, and two, hey, know your audience. Accountants may be a little bit less freewheeling at times than maybe entrepreneurs or, or comedians. What did you speak about at that event? Well, yeah, I was talking about... Oh my gosh, it's been so long. I should pull up those slides. I might, I might be embarrassed by the slide quality. But uh, I, I think I was talking about goal setting and collaboration uh, sorts of things. Yeah, it, and I think it was just sort of like I had a friend who said, hey, my buddy Pete's a speaker and we need a speaker. And so we've got these things to choose from. So I did that and I even did a couple um, high school assemblies. <laughs> and then once again, learning about knowing your audience, like uh, that did not go nearly as well as, as all these sort of uh, youth leadership conferences that I had done, in which I was often like the number one ranked speaker, you know, out of like dozens of speakers. So it's like, oh, okay, this means I'm good at speaking. Well, no, no. It just means that the message I had was really connecting and resonating with that audience of, of ambitious student leaders. And then when I try to bring something similar into a full-scale, wide uh, high school, you know, pack it into the gym, uh, do a 
full-blown assembly didn't work so well. And I was, dare I say, below average uh, when it comes to a high school assembly speaker. So I guess I, I made all the mistakes and, and learned it the hard way, you know, in terms of it's like, oh, all the things you learned about business at your strategy consulting firm are still applicable to this business of, of speaking. Right. Yeah. And, it, <laughs> and I'm guessing that being a below average high school assembly speaker is not what you want to be known for. <laughs> Um, no, not at all. <laughs> it's not going to get you the big time gigs. No, it's not good uh, for them or me. <laughs> but you clearly made a big transformation. I mean, you had to start somewhere. You had to go get right. practice. You had to go try stuff, right? Which is what you were doing. And you were starting to put it out there and tell people that you are a speaker because your friend made that recommendation. And I yeah. give this advice to people all the time. Like, if you're trying to get into something and I give that to give this advice to myself, you have to start telling people that that's what you're doing. Totally. So they can refer you, right? They can make introductions. They can give you advice. If you don't tell at least your friends and your family, then they can't help you. Right. Very true. So where did you go from there? Because you've obviously made a big transition from below average high school assembly speaker <laughs> to speaking and coaching over 700 executives from different companies yeah. around the world and speaking in front of different audiences, being featured in big publications and having this, this huge podcast. So where did you go? Did you go get training for something? Did you just get more experience? What happened? Well, you know, what was interesting is I remember my, I had a roommate who was, was unemployed and he was sort of thinking about stuff and he mentioned, you know, boy, you know how much it costs to get a resume review from uh, vault.com? And I was like, oh, I've been to vault.com many times. No, what does it cost to get a resume? He's like, it's like over $200. It's like, and I thought, wait a second. I enjoy reviewing resumes. I tend to offer a lot of good feedback when people need where the resumes reviewed. I don't really seem to have a lot of revenue coming in right now. So, hey, vault.com. You know, I, I emailed them and said, you know, hey, I can do resume reviews. I worked in consulting. I interviewed in consulting for case interviews so I can do those as well. And they said, sure. So, so I got started a little bit. And then I saw another case interview prep website. And that case interview, by the way, is the process by which strategy consultants like McKinsey, Bain, BCG get hired. You have to solve a business problem kind of live on the spot in front of an interviewer. It's very nerve wracking and takes some practice to, to do well enough to, to get these very competitive jobs. So anyway, that's a case interview. And so I was like, hey, I could do, I could do case interview coaching. And so then I just sent another email to another site. He's like, yeah, you know, that sounds great. Let's do that. So then I had a little bit of, of revenue coming in that way. And then with my student leadership thing, that was working out better for college ages as opposed to, to high school ages. I remember, you know, this is a, a quick, ridiculous story. I went to this uh, expo, which was like for uh, performers for young audiences. And I think it was more like, like junior high school and below. And I had a little booth exhibiting like, hey, I'm a speaker. And I was, I was next to some other people, you know, including like uh, this guy, I think his name was the Rope Warrior. He can like jump rope sitting down and that like is a metaphor for like leadership and persistence and then there's a juggler and then I and so I was like I was in between these guys at the exhibition hall like man what am I doing I don't know and so I, I asked the juggler hey so you're gonna be like doing some some juggling out here and he said no demonstrations are prohibited in the exhibition hall and it's just a medium for the message. <laughs> he was like exasperated with me. And then someone graciously said, hey, Pete, you might check out a college audience <laughs> for your message. And so I hooked up this agency, Campus Speak, uh, and they're awesome. And then they produced a, a good number of, of people, sure enough. 
wanted to book me for exactly what I knew about. I had leadership and student organizations. They had folks who were, were booking events in which they had all their leaders of student organizations. And so it was really awesome. I, I had all these gigs in which I was kind of flying all over the country. And uh, one time in Canada, and, and I was doing that, uh, I got certified in the Myers-Briggs, which I was always a longtime enthusiast, but finally got the credentials. And then I was doing some workshops for that with some more grown-up you know, audiences all over the place, even once in the Bahamas, which was really cool. That was a, probably the best location I had for the, the tourism people there. So they gave me a, the, the hookup <laughs> on a room and I stayed for a while. And then uh, it was one of the, my case interview clients said to me, you know, Pete, this stuff that we've learned here about how to frame up problems and make decisions and, and solve them really efficiently is so helpful. I would love it if there's a way you could teach this to, to my whole team. And they were radio frequency engineers at a uh, major telecom. And I was like, okay, yeah, let's do that. And so then I, I created this program called Enhanced Thinking Collaboration all about, you know, how do you think well and, and communicate effectively kind of skills from the strategy consulting toolkit, plus all the stuff I'd learned from reading all these books I, I dorked out about as a kid. And so, so it really started coming together. And, and so they loved that workshop series. They saw some really good results in terms of a genuine before, after difference and, and reduction and sort of wasted time whether it's meetings or rework, just kind of eliminated. So they, they kind of booked me out four more times uh, with different teams at, at that client. And, and each of them saw some, some cool before after results. And then I was like, well, hey, I, I think some more people would like to know about this program. You know, maybe I'll, I'll start this podcast as a means of getting folks to, to know about that. And now the podcast has its own sort of sponsors and products associated with it. And so yeah, sure enough, by bumbling around, <laughs> you know, I, I've managed to to now have a, a nice little media asset, which is getting the job done in terms of living expenses and, and then many other ways I can go deep to to deliver, you know, more services and, and, and knowledge to folks. Yeah, that's awesome. It's, it's pretty cool how you, we're all on a journey, right? And how you kind yeah. of stumbled from here to there and kept trying different things and connecting with different people and honing your message and uh, eventually worked your way up to where you are today. I assume you're still out speaking uh, right, yeah. organizations, right? So what's the most common thing that you're speaking about these days? What are you known for? Well, yeah, I think the thing that's, that's somewhat unique for me relative to others is, you know, I, I talk about accountability and, and, and people teaming up to support one another. That's not as unique. You know, I could talk about smart goals to like a, a young audience, but, you know, there's, there's many of those. So what, what I think it really is pretty unique is that enhanced thinking collaboration uh, training program there. We'll have a 90-minute session and it's about clarifying work, like what is being asked of you, making a clear request of another how you can go about getting that clarification well, some key things you could look through through a checklist. And then and it's interactive, you know, people get a chance to, to clarify, you know, with each other. And then we all kind of, you know, workshop it, see how, how people did with that. And, and go figure, that skill, although it may seem kind of mundane or rudimentary, we make it fun. We, we, we spice it up, have fun with it. You know, that is a skill that, that really translates into a lot less uh, wasted time, you know, over the course of, of a team uh, conducting, you know, their, their business that they're conducting. So if you're in a, a job where you're working with different people and, and figuring stuff out, you know, and which is, you know, most, you know, white collar or knowledge working jobs, then, then this could be pretty handy as a resource for your team. That's cool. Well, I don't know if we can get into the whole thing, but what are a couple of pieces of advice do you have for people that are working, especially in teams who want to be more productive, have better collaboration in their team? What, uh, what sort of advice do you give people? 
Oh, well, you're right. You're right. There are little, lots of little pieces. So, but I'm going to start with perhaps my favorite that, that gets people excited and, and can be a light bulb sometimes, especially for folks maybe in the earlier stages of their career, you know, and, and that's about pushback and, and pushback I define as just sort of the, the diplomatic art of conveying why a, a particular assignment is not the best use of the team's resources. So it's not like, no, nah, Andy, don't feel like it. <laughs> it's like, that, uh, that sounds really lame and boring. So I, I don't care to, to do what you've asked of me, but rather to, to really be able to make a case for, let's say, there, there's so many things you might ask of me. Andy. How about when I invited you to come on this podcast? Sure thing. Well, I really wanted to. So <laughs> I, I said, yes. Let, let's say my boss told me that as a means of selling our product, I should appear on these five podcasts. Okay, so we'll, we'll switch it around that way. It's like, okay, so that now we're clear. So the goal is we're trying to sell more of a product or service. And the hope is that by showing off of these podcasts, that's going to be uh, generate good publicity or, or buzz or, or the listeners will, will go forward and do it. So a, a good pushback will effectively convey that this particular activity is not a sort of worthwhile use of time to accomplish the objective that we all agree to. So for example, uh, if I could say, you know, hey boss, uh, hey, thanks so much for this opportunity. That's really cool. I took a look at those five podcasts and, and I roughly estimated their listenership size by going to these six key websites. And, and what I discovered was, you know, these podcasts are all actually below average in terms of their listenership or about 150 listeners a piece or smaller each of them. And really, you know, what we would pay in money to get that kind of exposure on a podcast would be less than $25 (laughs) to to have an ad spot on a podcast that is larger than all of them combined. So what I'm thinking is if we really want to get exposure to podcast listeners in the most efficient way possible, you know, the best move isn't for me to try to to cozy up to, to these five podcasters and try to persuade them to interview me. But instead, you know, we might just simply pay, you know, for a small sponsorship to get on there. Or we find some other podcasts that are going to be, you know, bigger and better and really worth the investment of our team's resources as a means of acquiring customers. So there you have it. It's like, I'm not saying I don't feel like doing this. I'm not saying that's lame. That sucks. It's it's boring. It's not my cup of tea. I'm saying, hey, we all agree on the goal and I'm I'm committed to it. And I, I just don't, quite see how this move is going to be our best move in order to to advance it optimally. This episode of the Entrepreneur Hot Seat is sponsored by Advantage Performance Group. Advantage is the first place to call when you need leaders to lead, sellers to sell, and your business to flourish. At Advantage, we offer creative learning solutions that can help accelerate leadership development, business acumen, sales performance, and business results. Our clients say we're imaginative, collaborative, insightful, and fun. For more info, visit AdvantagePerformance.com or call us at 415-925-6832. And now back to the show. So what you're saying is one of the biggest, most effective ways to get more efficient and more productive as a team is to start to push back and get rid of those jobs that you shouldn't or don't want to be doing. And that to do that, the best method is not to just push back and say, you know what, I don't want to do that. Right. <laughs> with evidence, some data to support the reason why it would be better to do it a different way. Absolutely. Yes. And, and, and I think we often forget, I mean, I don't forget because, you know, I'm self-employed and, and I hire mostly contractors, the precious connection between 
dollars and and hours. But I, I think with with full time salary employees, it's easy to it's easy to forget that. And so if we just really stop and take a look at, all right, hey, what are we looking at? A, a request that's going to take you know me six hours and you know fill in the blank in terms of my compensation per hour. You might call it fifty bucks fully loaded or more. So we're really talking about, would we spend $300 for this thing that, that we're looking at? And, and often the answer is, you know, no way. We, we could buy a little something, you know, on, on Amazon that will we'll do that at a lower cost or, or it's just not, not quite worth it in terms of the, the cost versus benefit or even doing a quick estimate in terms of, it's like, hey, Andy, I wonder if you could run an analysis on an investing in a, a new marketing software system that will kind of tremendously increase the number of leads that, that we generate. And you could say, okay, well, well, I say maybe before you spend, you know, 30 hours researching every a vendor and option that, that is available to you, you, you might kind of get a quick sense of, hey, what, what do the benchmark data suggest they are generating in terms of, say, a conversion rate proportion of website visitors that become leads versus what we're doing already. And so you can come back and say, hey, I didn't need to spend 20 plus hours, you know, researching dozens of vendors in great detail because I could tell you right now we are already doing way better uh, than, than any of them are promising that they can deliver for us. It's like, oh, okay, so cool. You just saved yourself a lot of time, which, which is nice because one, you might get to get home earlier and spend more quality time with the family, but even more so you can redeploy most of that time to bigger value added things for the team. And so I, I'm just sort of presuming that an hour saved doesn't translate into an hour browsing Facebook at work, but, but rather an hour invested in one of the many, many other things that we never get to get to because our, our to-do lists are too huge uh, given the hours available in the workday. Right. And for so many salary workers in big companies, right, they're working no matter what. And sometimes it is browsing Facebook, but otherwise there are plenty of other things for them to do. And they're often getting caught up in this busy work or just responding to tasks that they get from the boss that maybe are not that strategic or don't really fit into the goal or not really sure why they're doing it. And I agree, a lot of times they don't think about, people don't think about the costs in terms of the people involved. They say time is money, right? Mm -hmm. But how often do people really think about that? And I see that, you know, in my main business, I, I sell and run training and development to big companies. And oftentimes I will bring a program into a company and they'll say, can you run a train the trainer so that we can run this ourselves? And I'll ask, well, how many times do you think you're going to run this? Well, maybe three or four times. Well, if you're going to spend 10 hours getting ramped up to run this and then run it three or four times, I get that you're going to save the facilitation fee of bringing in me or some other consultant to run it there three or four times, but how much is it going to cost you? Don't forget your oh, yeah. people still have a salary and they mm -hmm. still have to do it. And that means they're not doing something else. That's a great they example. See it as free because they're already on, on the uh -huh. paper. Well, and, and it is free if you don't plan to fire them and you have no other valuable value added use of their time. Right, right. That's almost never true. Yeah. At yeah. some point they could be doing something else Yeah. in theory, because that's not what you specifically hired them for. Uh -huh. So how do you, it sounds like you're going to data, like look at, okay, let's do some type of cost benefit analysis. I know you help people with decision-making so how do you help groups make decisions on what is the right use of their time and how, what sort of things should they be investing in? Sure thing. Well, you know, I think a lot of times the question is kind of like a yes or no on, on a particular option. And, and so 
I'd say, I'll back it up before we go to that part, but I think it's largely about, okay, what, you know, what is quality or success or winning or, or victory or, or the result for you, for your team? And I think that's the first thing in terms of for a whole business that could be profit or valuation, you know, total equity value, you know, congrats to Apple on their trillion dollar, right? Valuation just recently. Yeah. So congrats to you, <laughs> you know, and so, so I guess that, that, that's that, but then I can see if you zoom into a sales team that could be, okay, well, we're talking about gross profit generation from this, this sales team. If we're talking about maybe a customer service team, you know, we're talking about delighted customers, number of people that get served done right the first time, or maybe we're talking about reducing the cost associated with servicing those customers, you know, shrinking the, the average handle time of the phone calls, et cetera. So I think that's the first thing is like, let's get really clear on, on what winning looks like and, and how we're defining sort of success for this, this group team, you know, work unit. And, and then if you want to take a look at all the options that are at our disposal and think about, you know, what's, what's a great metric to use to prioritize is the limiting constraint dollars in terms of now think about a research team. It's like, Hey, we got $2 million of R and D budget. It's like, okay, well, what we really wanted to have are innovations that delight customers and give us more profit. So let's see, you know, what could we expect for extra profit per R&D dollar of these different projects to start doing a little bit of sorting. Or if we're thinking back to the, to the sales team, you know, we might think about if we're adopting a new products that we can sell is like, we want to see, okay, well, well what's really the, the potential associated with this team to actually sell this thing based upon our relationships and who we're already talking to and, how they think they might do it. So, so with a really quick attempt at quantification, you know, even if you don't have all the ins and outs and, and precise inputs, you can kind of say, hey, I can't predict the future, but from a, a rough cut or best guess analysis, these three ideas are worth more than those 17 ideas combined. So how about we go with those three ideas? And, and so that's sort of a, a first cut. But now for, for the day in, day out decision-making, it's sort of like a yes or no on something. My favorite tool that I picked up from consulting, and boy, it's taken me a long time to figure out how to, how to teach this well, but I think we finally got it. My wife had told me that calling it hypothesis-driven thinking is not at all appealing or simple <laughs> you know, for people. And so instead, I'm, I'm rolling with uh, the two questions that improve every decision. And it is, one, what must be true for this to be a good move? And two, how can I test that? Get a little bit of preview a little time machine of coming attractions, what's, what's likely to happen in the future. So I'll, I'll give you an example of, of a bad way to make a decision. So I was trying to sell some books. I had another book that I'd written and I got this interesting promotion from, I'm not going to name names because I was really upset with them. <laughs> but there was a magazine that is distributed to producers of, of TV and radio programs that do interviews. And you could place an advertisement in this publication for, I don't know, maybe it was like 1500 bucks or so. That seemed to me like a very wise use of, of money. It's like, oh, so I can spend a little bit of money here and get in front of people who in turn book me for shows. And then I, I will be exposed to a whole lot of people. And so then, so thinking about this decision, I was like, well, well, what must really be true if this to be a good move is that I will sell more books. You know, it'll, it'll offset the cost of this. So it'll really be worthwhile for me. And so I was thinking through this, like, okay, well, how many, how many books will I sell? I was like, well, shucks, I don't know. How many, how many radio shows am I going to get? I don't know. TV shows, how many viewers are going to be on them and what proportion of them are going to buy? It's like, 
I, I have no idea. And so it's, it's almost like, oh, I'm, I'm like maybe researching benchmarks and just like writing, putting down some numbers that I'm basically just making it up, right? Like, oh, 1% sounds reasonable. It's just sort of all over the place. And, and so ultimately I, I paid for this advertising. I got like two legit shows and like two prank shows. I was the butt of a... <laughs> really? I, I sure was. Uh, and, and so a very disappointing re- result. And I was like, man, of all my, my spreadsheets didn't get the job done. And so weeks later, I got a phone call and they said, oh, hey, Pete, my name is such and such. I saw that you recently advertised in publication name. Tell me, how'd that go for you? Was it worthwhile? You know, did you, was that a good use of, of your dollar? And I, I just like, could just slapped myself for the four. I like laughed out loud on the phone. He's like, everything okay? <laughs> and I was like, you know, that's exactly what I should have done is what you are doing now is simply found a couple people, yeah. called them, said, hey, how'd that go for you? Right. And, and so I said, no, it did not go well for me. I think it might go well for you if you're already a very well-established author that maybe producers are, are, are more ready to, to book quickly. But, you know, when you're just getting started, like it sounds like you are, no, I think that there's better places you could spend your money in terms of promoting your, your, your book or, or message. And so I, it was like, wow, how can I test that? Maybe it's checking the Amazon reviews. Maybe it's calling somebody. Maybe it's doing a little bit of a prototype out of cardboard or plywood. It it depends on the question or the decision that you're making. But if you can get a real clarity on what are the key things that must be true, you know, make that little checklist. And then how could I test each of those things? Then you can really focus your time on, on analyzing the right issues the right way, way faster than sort of doing every conceivable, you know, bit of investigative research analysis to right. prove a course of action. So the two questions were what must be true and what was the second question? Yeah. What must be true for this to be a good move? Yep. And then secondly, how can I test those things? How can I test that hypothesis? Yeah. Uh, that makes sense. And for anyone that's gotten into like innovation, design thinking, one of the questions I love is you come up with a great idea and instead of letting people shoot it down, you ask the question, well, what must be true? for this to work. And then you can start to mm-hmm. think about the options and, okay, how can we make this work? Well, you need to know that there's a certain number of people will actually book you for that. So this is a great example. You run a, a very popular podcast called How to Be Awesome at Your Job, right? And most of my listeners are either entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs. What advice do you have for people in general? I know you've heard probably heard a lot of great advice on your show. Um, what are some of the best tips you've heard for how to be awesome at your job? I wish I had like such a brilliantly innovative tactic in terms of here it is, Andy. <laughs> this acronym will will unlock everything. Never, you've never heard it before. Change but, the way I work. But but I think honestly, if there's one suggestion that I find in my own experience and borne out in the research and has come up from several guests. To be more awesome at your job, I encourage you to get enough sleep. If you give me one, give me six, I have a whole lot more to say. But yeah, I think that's huge in terms of, just like we've been talking about here with that, you know, hey, you get a task, you don't really question it, you just kind of do it. You have a tough decision and you don't really think through clearly what are some approaches that I could use to test that. You just kind of, you know, try it out and go for the best. Oops, then now there's rework and waste and and all that stuff. So much of this disappears when you have enough sleep to think freshly 
and say, hey, does that make any sense? Kind of fix it up front before fixing it later. So that's one of the big ones. You know, I'd say whether you're an entrepreneur or a professional, that sleeping well means that you're thinking well. And when you're thinking well, you're getting great results. So underrated and not talked about enough. I agree. Uh I mean, people ask me a lot, how am I, I'm so productive and so energetic. And it goes back to basics. Like I get enough sleep every night and I take care of myself. I exercise every day. I meditate every day. I eat pretty healthy. That's the foundation to being able to get a lot of stuff done. Then you can get into all the time management hacks about scheduling over tasks and all this sort of stuff. But I, I like that. I mean, just get enough sleep. Stop staying up all night watching Netflix and like go to bed and get enough sleep. Totally. Well, and it's great. And it's very relieving for me too, because I think, you know, in strategy consulting, I had some intense weeks in which yeah. the hours required were, were more than I could deliver in my conscious days, right? So we actually had to nip into, into sleep time. And I became kind of dumb. And, and I kind of embarrassed myself a little bit from time to time. And it's like, I don't know if these other consultants just have the gene where they don't need to sleep as much because I guess, you know, one or 2% of us have it. But man, I, I feel like I'm really kind of doing terribly here. And, and sure enough, I, I think that um, it wasn't just me. Like that is, is quite a, a common experience of people. And, and there's just so many cool studies, whether it's from video game developers or fMRI brain scans. Like there's all sorts of evidence that points to, to the huge difference this makes in performance. Yeah. And it's almost counterintuitive because you think I have so much to do. I'll just keep yeah. working and I won't sleep enough that much. Four hours will be fine. But if you actually stop earlier and sleep more, you might get more done and be more productive on the back end. So we got to wrap things up here. Last question for you, Pete, which is for anyone listening who is still thinking about going out on their own, maybe as a consultant coach or especially a speaker, since you've done that and you've tried a lot of things, uh, what's the biggest or first piece of advice you would give them? Oh, sure thing. Well, well, the cool thing about being a speaker in particular is that it doesn't have to be all or nothing, you know, when it comes to pursuing that. Like I was had a few gigs just here and there and that you could take a vacation day or it's on the weekend. And, and so you can keep your full-time job doing your thing and then, and then do a gig, you know, now that could be really hard. Like you have like a, a physical product, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, I got to manage the inventory and the factory and the marketing, <laughs> you know, it, it could be hard to kind of keep all those balls in the air versus like one gig. It's like, well, okay, you know, I, I can go do that. So, so that's kind of my thinking there is, is to, to think about it, not all or nothing, but to, to see if you can just, make a little bit of time, you know, sort of an hour or two or three or four a week in terms of saying, well, hey, what do I need to learn? Or uh, what might be a message? Hey, why don't I take a crack at outlining that or sort of speaking it and videotaping it and seeing if some, some folks I really respect can, can give me their feedback on it and see if I could, you know, hone that a little bit. So, and then, you know, hey, see if anybody wants it. And I recommend doing that before you leave your job so that you won't <laughs> drain your savings close to the, the zero point. <laughs> yes. Well, at least save some money up first to make a spreadsheet. But totally. <laughs> I, I like that advice. I will take that advice personally because I've been a consultant and coach for many years. I do a lot of training using solutions from other providers, but I am an aspiring speaker myself. And I know that I need to just start booking some gigs here and there. I've done a couple to just do more of that. Like you said, it's, I think in my mind for a while, I thought of it as all or nothing. Like I've got to one day turn into oh, I'm a speaker, which I can start telling people that, but it's really about starting to book those things and and easing into it and getting different experience doing different stuff. 
Oh, totally. And, and, and that, in a way, is a really kind of a fun stage of the speaker journey. I remember when I was doing gigs, you know, some free, some not. And I would I'd be videotaping them all. And so, of course, I was trying to delight the audience I was in front of. And, and you could do like Rotary or Kiwanis or Lions Club or Optimist. Like, it's like, hey, like, we have a lunch and we have a speaker. Like, like those sorts of community-based organizations. It's awesome for that. And then I, I would sort of, I'd give a speech, but I'd also be videotaping it. And I would have a thought for, you know, my speaking reel. And in terms of, okay, what part is for the camera? <laughs> so I would have like, you know, maybe a, a 45 seconds of story that I, I'm mostly giving to the camera because I know that that's going to come after this part and before the other part and my speaking video reel. And that's really kind of fun and motivating because you want to make that part super, super awesome, but you also don't want to make it seem out of place. So you want to make the whole thing super, super awesome. And then it's just a, an extra boost to make it all the better. Huh. Interesting. Okay. Insider tip yeah. for those who are <laughs> new to speaking is get that awesome part out in there, whether it applies to the audience or not. <laughs> what does this have to do with uh, <laughs> our local community <laughs> and volunteerism? <laughs> uh, Pete, this has been awesome. For anybody listening who wants to uh, get in touch with you, learn more about what you do and listen to your podcast, uh, where do they go? How do they get in touch? Oh, sure thing. We can find everything over at awesomeatyourjob.com. Or if you can fire up any of your podcast app player of choice and just search awesome space job, I, I tend to show up right there. There's a, a bright yellow uh, image and a eyeballs looking upward and you'll, you'll recognize it right there. Awesome. Well, congratulations on, on having it rank so highly. And thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and some of your advice, Pete. I really appreciate it. I learned a lot and I hope our listeners did as well. So thanks again for coming on the podcast. Oh, thank you. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Hot Seat. You can find more information at entrepreneurhotseat.com or my personal website, andystorch.com. Please don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. And if you have any questions or comments, or if you are looking for ways to take your life and business to the next level, you can send me an email to andy at andystorch.com. Take care. <laughs>